Hi, I'm Jennifer Zollett. And I'm Larkin Bell. Welcome to our podcast, A Female Lens. Today, we're talking about pledges to work with women on movie sets, and we interview the wonderful Tiffany Little Canfield, casting director extraordinaire. Stay tuned. <laughs> This is our segment called Women in Film in the News, where we discuss women in film in the news. There we go. Yeah, our um, piece of news this week is Nicole Kidman's pack to work with a female director every 18 months. This has come out um, a lot in her press tour for mm-hmm. the movie she's starring in, Destroyer, directed by Karin Kusama. Um, and we wanted to discuss this particular pledge and why it's important for a couple of reasons. Right. So Nicole Kidman made this pledge, uh, I think a few years ago, and it was Mm -hmm. really a personal pact with herself, which is even more interesting that it wasn't this, you know, public announcement right off the bat. Mm -hmm. And she pledged to work with, uh, a female director every 18 months. And she has actually exceeded that and worked with five female directors in the last two and a half ish years. Yes. Um, and, and digging in deeper to this, um, piece of news, we found that Karin Kusama would not have directed Destroyer if it weren't for Nicole Kidman making the ask for a female director on the film. Right. Which is huge. So she basically used her leverage and her power or her power to leverage, (laughs) uh, getting Karin, um, in there as director, which is huge. Right. She gave her the opportunity and it just goes back to what we've talked about before with, the idea that there are really there's no lack of female directors there is a lack of opportunities for female directors definitely and didn't don't you have a quote from nicole kidman she says as an actor you're only as good as the things you're offered and there just weren't any women offering me things so when you dissect that you realize there aren't women offering you things because they don't have the opportunities and it also uh we were discussing earlier reminds us of uh the announcement that Regina King made yes. at the Golden Globes recently, which was very powerful. Uh, and she vowed that anything she produces in the next two years will be 50% women and went on to challenge everyone in a position of power to do the same. Totally. Yeah. Loved hearing that. I mm-hmm. thought that was really exciting to again bring it back into the spotlight. Right. And also going back to Destroyer with Karin Kusama as director, she ended up hiring a female DP, female first AD, second AD, sound yeah. designer, and more. Um, and then went on to talk about how it was the greatest artistic collaboration of her life, which I just goes to show you um, with a female director, there are just more opportunities for different people to be involved in the collaboration. And that just leads to a richer storytelling. Right. Because now if you have a female director, she is suddenly in a position of power to hire people. And Karin Kusama chose to hire women. Yeah. It's huge. What a and concept. I think, yeah, I think Regina King's pledge um, is exciting, I think, mm-hmm. especially paired with Nicole Kidman's pledge and, and, uh, whether, you know, actors or other people in Hollywood are making this public or a private mm-hmm. pledge. I think it's, um, yeah, it just goes to show that the importance of making that commitment, um, in your day-to-day life, wherever you can make it, I guess, uh, it's, you know, easy to be part of the movement, mm-hmm. easy to do some hashtags on social right. media, but, um, it's like, where can you make the change in your day-to-day life? And it's challenged me to think about that as well. Me too. 
So Valentine's Day is coming up soon. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I want for Valentine's Day? The list is too long. I want wine from Vinavore. Oh, yes. We love Vinavore. It's a wine and goods shop located in Los Angeles, California. Vinavore offers Beast Box gift boxes, which are perfect for anybody or any occasion. And they offer different price tiers starting at $25, and they're happy to put something custom together for you as well. Yeah, they can accommodate special event packages for weddings, showers, bachelorette parties, corporate events, entertainment wraps, etc. Basically, you name it. And they'll make it happen. So check them out in store or online at vino-4.com. And now here's our interview with Tiffany Little Canfield. We get right into it with this casting director for theater, film, and television at the prestigious bi-coastal casting office, Telsey and Company. So you graduated with a degree in directing from the University of North Carolina School of the Arts. How did that lead to casting? I moved to New York City right after school, which was the expectation, very much the pressure from school. Um, and I was very afraid of living in New York City because I'm from the West Coast. And there was all these terrifying rumors at that time, like you couldn't even get a waiting tables job unless you had New York experience. You could never get in apartments. You know, basically like I was choosing homelessness to go there. And I... So for the first three months, I just got a job. It's not true. You can lie that you have New York experience and they believe you and they give you jobs. So I got a job waiting tables and I got an apartment and I just got comfortable for the first three months. And then I looked for a job where I could learn about how New York City theater worked because I had never gone there. I mean, I visited as a tourist. But I didn't have a lot of connections. I'm not from the industry. You know, I really didn't have a plan of how to become a director. Because unlike an actor, there aren't auditions posted or meetings for directors. You know, you I didn't really know how to start. So I looked at various gigs on Playbill.com and, you know, various arts organization websites. And I applied, I remember, at the public theater for their casting internship. I love the public theater, so that was my number one dream. I also, I think I applied at the roundabout in the casting, and I applied to a couple of agencies to be an assistant because there were job notices, and that one seemed like that might might actually get paid. Um, and then when I went on the interviews, I loved it you know it was it felt like really right to be in casting I didn't know casting was a job I didn't know it was a career by any stretch because I had heard in regional theater it's always just the director and you know like you have general auditions I had never experienced the casting director as part of the process and I didn't get the public theater one but I had many callbacks or second or third interviews I guess you call them and they told me you know, it's really competitive during the summer, but please apply again in the fall. It was a really hard decision. And I was like, that's what I'm going to do. And then I saw an ad that was at what was called at the time Bernard Telsey Casting to work specifically on Baz Luhrmann's production of Puccini's La Boheme on Broadway. And they were looking for someone with an opera background to be an assistant on it. Um, And I had seen half an opera. But I had just seen Moulin Rouge seven times. So it said Baz Luhrmann, and I thought, let them tell me no. I sent in my resume, and I somehow got an interview, and I got it. And it was three months, so I thought, this is perfect. I'll do this, and then I'll reapply to the public theater. And 
I started working with Heidi Marshall, who was a casting director at Telsey at the time. She was totally focused on the opera. And because it was so different than the other projects at Bernard Telsey Casting, we were very isolated. We worked with different agents, different talent, and really like delved into the opera world looking for young artists. And I just fell in love with it. And I never left. Yeah, and so Telsey is a very well-known casting office, especially in New York and for the Broadway community. What has your experience been working by Coastally? It's much better than I thought. I was a little bit afraid when I moved out to L.A. that I'd be working on procedurals or something, you know, shows that did not creatively fulfill me. And that has been, there's nothing further from the truth. Honestly, the television work I've worked on out here has been some of the most diverse of my entire career. And I had a pretty diverse career in New York. I worked on all the weird stuff. You know, I love the avant-garde directors. And I've actually had the opportunity to continue to work with those directors. In fact, um, I'm working with Julie Tamer right now on a film. And I'm working with Martha Clark on a new piece. And I'm working with Richard Jones on a new piece. Those are three of my favorite artists that I thought I would be foregoing working with in the future because I would be on the West Coast. But telephones, these people all have telephones. They all have computers and texting and email. So, you know, it's been working. What, if any, are the differences between casting, film, television, and theater? I would say the speed of the process. The slowest process is probably theater because you start at a workshop phase and then you go into usually an out-of-town tryout, actually several workshops, then out-of-town tryouts, and then the Broadway production. And you always know months and months and months, if not a year in advance, these things are going to happen. So you tend to use that time and it tends to really slowly unfold. Then I would say film. Film tends to be start months and months and months away and you take that time television you usually it's 10 weeks that can be a film as well but for the initial episode the pilot 10 weeks is standard but then once you get into episodic it's a week and a half so that's very different than the other casting process what do you wish people knew about casting directors and the whole casting process that it's a creative one I think a lot of actors, as they prepare for their audition, they try to think, what are they looking for? And sometimes the answer is, we don't know. What we really are looking for is an artist with a point of view to come through the door and amaze us with their point of view about the work, taking the text the same way we are and, and doing what they think is good. And then us all being on the same page or us even being inspired or even having our minds changed of what we think we're looking for. So often what we get is someone wants feedback that indicates what they did wrong and that's why they didn't get the part. Mm. And oftentimes that's not even... More than well, oftentimes, yeah, in fact, you can't cast it. Right. If it's, it's not that one person was good. Right. My experience, if one person's good, you keep casting. Interesting. Until you have... You can't fall in love. Yeah. If you only like one, right? Yeah. You need yeah. to like five and then fall life, in love life, with one. Life wisdom right here. Life wisdom. <laughs> this goes into many fields. <laughs> we like options. You yeah. know, that's yeah. part of it. We like to explore. And it's, it's something that I think if actors 
realized they would have much more power over their artistry and much more power in the audition process. Could you walk us through the process of becoming a casting director? Ooh, that's a challenging one because I think there is no traditional route. For me, it was going to acting training, then realizing that is not the career for me, going to directing, and then finding a place that recognized my strengths in both of those disciplines and my strength in terms of dealing with text and and getting into the minds of the piece. You know, I don't know how you would describe that. So I feel like I use what my training every day, but I know casting directors who are wonderful, who have come from all different walks of life, all different training programs, sometimes a general film degree, sometimes a performance degree, sometimes I'm sure an arts management degree. I'm sure, I mean, there is not a standard way to do it. If I were to say how I see it happening now, I would say going into school looking for some sort of arts education and then while you're at school doing internships in casting offices and developing relationships and then trying to become an assistant and then hopefully working hard and becoming an associate and then eventually evolving into a casting director. What would you say are your greatest strengths that you bring to the room and and to your position? I think my greatest strength in the sense of how I found my way in, and I think the reason the door opened for me, is my comfortability working with actors in the room. My first job, really, the Lab OM, was trying to find young singers who could act um, from the opera world where there is not a great deal of acting training. And really why I think I got that job, having seen half an opera and having zero connections in the opera world, was because I was not afraid to get into the room with an opera singer and basically teach them basic Stanislavski method and talk about what an actor wants and what a character wants and breaking down the song and doing it instead of as an aria, doing it in English as a monologue and a scene, and then doing it in Italian and then adding the music, which is, of course, very standard rehearsal you know, if you're working on a new piece in the theater. So I would say that. And then in commercials too, I started to do commercials and with commercials, it's you and an actor in a room. And that's a situation where you want every person who comes in to be bookable. So directing them, telling them where the joke is, it's very result oriented, but it's directing, you know, turn here, look here. And because you want everyone to be a potential um, candidate where in, You know, other things, you're a little bit more narrowing the field. So you might be more judging what does this person bring to the table. In commercials, I'm telling you what to bring to the table. (laughs) And I was very comfortable doing that. You've talked about before how auditioning is sort of this combination of craft and a special, unique quality that an actor brings to the table. Obviously, it's hard to describe what that is, but if you could speak to that a little bit and about what excites you when you see that in somebody. I would say it's an individualism. Julie Tamor, who I'm working with right now, actually used a word to describe the kind of actor she tends to be drawn to, and I 
felt like I had an epiphany where I knew that was what it was, but that word, which is idiosyncratic, someone who is idiosyncratic, that kind of person is not someone who's worrying about trends. They are not worrying about why I didn't get it in the same way that a non-idiosyncratic actor is, right? They aren't afraid to be themselves. They're not afraid to use their imagination. They're not afraid to be inspired by a feeling, a thought, you know, things that I always call fuel as you're preparing. You know, you look for your action. You look for what you want, your objective. But you could also fill that with fuel. And fuel can often be your imagination or your experiences and how they give you an idea. In an interview you did for the SAG Foundation, you talked about how you work in the coldest room in the world, meaning one side of the room is giving out rejections and the other side is receiving the rejections. Can you talk about that and how you work to create a warmer space and a collaborative room? One, I try to manage the expectations and help the creative team understand what we're about to do because they often feel very awkward. They, you know, you don't want to reject people and you don't want to make people feel bad. So I try to just say things like, everyone's so excited to come in today. You know, I talk a lot about the work and the scripts and and, and challenges and positives about what we're going to do to make it specifically about the work and not about the audition experience. Try to have some candy in there. And then outside the room with the actor, I try to really connect with them. I try to kind of sense where they're at, you know, feel their energy. And if I sense that they seem kind of ramped up or neurotic feeling, you know, I can feel that kind of neurotic, nervous energy. I will try to suggest some things like, do you want a second? Do you, you know, I try to make a joke with them. I try to make sure, oh, are your sides the same? Even though I know they are. I'll try to say that. So then we're sort of distracting ourselves from just the we're about to walk in the room, but like look at it. And then I try to tell the actor, here's the vibe in there. And if I know that the room is really awkward because everyone's just so uncomfortable, I'll say something like, it's not you. They're just so nervous. So don't take it on. Let's go have fun. Me and you, I'm going to be reading with you. Let's have fun. You know, something like that. And then when they come in, I try to be warm. I try to do a joke. And then I really try in my auditions, because I read with the actors, to really connect and really be prepared like a scene partner as opposed to someone judging them, which I think is difficult to do, but I think it's important for me. It's part of my process. You've also talked about how auditioning is a two-way street, meaning that the actor is not only auditioning and being interviewed for the show, but the actor is also interviewing the show and the director and deciding whether they want to work with them. We don't really hear that often as actors. Uh, Could you talk a little more about that and why it's important for actors to think about that? I think anything an actor can do to remind them that they're an artist in a collaborative process is important because it's totally true and it's what we're looking for right aren't we interviewing people to collaborate with us so I think it's an important thing to remember as the actor that when you come in you shouldn't be afraid of making a choice that's wrong because you want 
to do what you think is good, your take on the character. And if they're going a different way, you probably would be pretty frustrated if you got the part and then were told to do it a different way when you really felt, I mean, you want to be flexible and collaborative, but like still have a point of view over what you think is good. So I'm sure every actor has had that feeling where they really want something, they don't get it, they're disappointed, and then they go to see it and it's not their cup of tea. And I'm sure every actor has experienced being in a play or in something where it is not your cup of tea. I'm telling you that is why I'm sitting here right now as a casting director. And you can't do anything. So in that sense, if you remember that, yes, you want the job. Yes, you want to work with these people. Yes, you want to impress them. I think the way to do it is have a point of view. Do what you think is good. And if you get feedback that it's not good again and again then look deeper what's your prep how are you coming to the idea that this is good is it some sort of vanity that's something how you want to see yourself so therefore you're kind of imposing this character on every script because you want to play this kind of part then maybe you need to reevaluate that but if you're doing solid prep work and using that text and using all the clues that you can find it should lead you somewhere, somewhere healthy, somewhere good. And if you're the kind of artist who can really bring yourself to it and commit to it and find the moments and experience that in the room, I think you have to feel like a success. What advice do you have for new directors as they're starting to work with casting directors in that process of collaborating together? I think don't be afraid to tell me what you really think and know that it's a process for me, especially in the beginning, to kind of delve into your taste and learn your taste. So when I bring actors, I'm not necessarily saying you should hire this one, you should hire this one. It's about exploring. So please share with us your point of view. Even if you have an allergic reaction to an actor, I need to know that. Don't be polite doesn't mean you need to be rude right but like you could say I just didn't buy it and I'm I'll be like okay and I'll tell you honestly that guy's great let me show you some materials you know because maybe it just was a little bit of a chemistry thing or maybe it's the moment it was you know again these rooms are filled with anxiety so sometimes what you're experiencing isn't necessarily a finished product and to follow up on that um who have been some of your favorite directors to collaborate with Oh my gosh, I've been so lucky. This Sounds is going like, to be yeah. really hard. Um, oh my gosh. I've already mentioned I love Julie Taymor. I love this director, Richard Jones, that I did the Harry Ape, an O'Neill play, and I worked on Anna Nicole, the opera with him at BAM, and I'm about to work on a play called Judgment Day with him. And I just find him amazing. Of course, Martha Clark, who is like dear to my soul. Michael Patrick King, when we worked on the Sex and City films and a couple of TV series since, I love working with him. He makes me laugh. Rob Marshall, who is such a gentleman and the way he works is so kind. I'm almost not used to Like, it's so kind <laughs> and lovely. Um, oh, my gosh. Drew Pierce, who I did a little indie with called Hotel Artemis. I loved working with Drew. I thought that his taste and his humor, it was just fun to get in that room or even have a conference call with him. 
it's I really, a I've been really list. lucky. Like, wow. I've been really lucky. <laughs> I feel like I'm leaving someone. Oh, Peter Hedges. Oh my God. Oh, Peter wow. Hedges is, I mean, it's been really lucky. When you are just out and about in the world, are you always looking at people through a casting perspective or are you able to turn off that part of your brain when you leave the office? Honestly, I am looking at people through a casting perspective, but because for me, a casting perspective is a storytelling, I think it's just evolved people watching. I compared it to being a sommelier the other day. Like, people always say, can you just enjoy something without being critical? Well, doesn't someone who loves wine and knows about it enjoy the wine? But they, you enjoy the critical part. You enjoy seeing a play and going, this worked, this didn't work, this worked, I'm yes. confused about this. So to me, it's it's more like in my everyday life, I'm definitely interested in the story people bring in when they come in the room. So I would say it's like evolved people watching. You know, and if I see someone who is so interesting, I do have to find out if they're an actor or interested in being an actor. <laughs> I love that phrase so much, and I might evolved start using people evolved watching. people watching. That's incredible. So good. Uh, uh, you cast This Is Us and Atypical, two shows that display very specific stories by characters that we haven't really seen before on TV. What drew you to these projects, and was the casting process any different from other projects? For This Is Us, I was very drawn to several things. One, it was John Requa and Glenn Ficar directed the pilot and I've worked with them and I love them. And in fact, I'm horrified I didn't mention them as two directors <laughs> that I love to work with because I love to work with them. And they brought us on and then it was Dan Fogelman who I didn't know, but I loved Crazy Stupid Love, which they had worked on together. So I was excited about that. And then of course the script. I mean, the script is really the most important thing, I would say. Um, the thing that was the most different I would say about This Is Us is we made a decision early on that we would not make offers and that we wanted everyone to read and we wanted to have a full casting process. And, and so all of the actors that you see in that show, with the exception of one because it was so obvious we had to, um, auditioned and chemistry read and the process was very exciting. The person was Gerald McRaney, which, I mean, guys, come on. <laughs> we had to offer to him. <laughs> so that was This Is Us. Okay, Atypical. I, I didn't know anyone on the team of Atypical. It was purely the script that I fell in love with. I was very excited to meet with Rabia and Mary, the producer, Rabia, the creator, because it was women. You know, I was very excited about that. Loved meeting them. And then we talked a lot about the process of finding our lead, Sam, because Sam is on the spectrum. And we talked to a lot of doctors and we talked to various educational experts in the field. And we saw and reached out to many organizations and saw autistic actors, actors on the spectrum. But overall, we did generally hear from the experts that the lead of a show, if someone was really showing signs of autism, would be difficult for them because of the long hours and because of the stimulus and because of basically it maybe not being a safe environment 
with that much pressure in that situation. We still saw many actors and fell in love with them and ultimately went with the best actor for the role, which was Kira Gilchrist. But we were then able to bring some of those actors into guest roles where there might not be as much pressure on them to deliver, but that they could still very much be, um, you know, represent and they're fantastic. They're fantastic. So that was great. And it was so great to work in those different environments and see, but also try to be really careful that you were taking care of the actors. A casting director can be such a cheerleader for actors, which is sort of rare in this business. What have been some of your most exciting moments watching an actor finally get the part? There's so many. I mean, probably the closest, and I don't think we even, we didn't even cast them. Does it have to be a time when we cast them? Okay. Um, I mean, Lucas Hedges. I've known him since he was a little boy because of working with his dad and seeing the kind of actor he's become has been like very, very, very meaningful. Um, I'll try not to get emotional. Um, I would say, oh my goodness, there's so many. Elizabeth Olsen, someone who we saw when she was at school and she was phenomenal. I would say Alison Pill is someone. Sarah Paulson. It's been fun to see her evolution because she's always been phenomenal. But to see that evolution has been really fun. Uh, in this moment of change in Hollywood, what are you most excited about moving forward and with casting especially? I'm excited for the world to see people who are not cookie cutter, people who are different or outside the box than what I grew up watching on television and movies and then encouraging their children to study the arts. It honestly makes me a little crazy. I have seven-year-old twins. And every time I meet someone new who has kids, they ask me what sport my kid plays. And I just have to ask, why is that? I'm not anti-sport, but why is that a given circumstance in our country? Why isn't it what instrument do they play? Why isn't it what is it they like to do? What's their jam, right? It's not. It really is always what sport do they play. And I say dance and gymnastics. Gymnastics is a sport. (laughs) But you know what I mean? I don't understand why we have this. And I think the reason why is for some reason people think it's not realistic to go into a career unless you are the prettiest girl in school or the handsomest boy in school. And that could not be further from the truth. Great note to end on. We we end with our rapid response segment. So you can answer in a couple words or a phrase. You can also throw out a sentence if you'd like. It's called three, two, one action. So we have four components to it. So for number three, what is your favorite or most influential film or TV show that is speaking to you or has spoken to you in the past? Broadcast news. Two, dream person you want to work with. Rachel Brosnahan. Okay, number one, best advice you've ever received? Say yes. Action, what are you most looking forward to right now? Seeing Mary Poppins returns with my twins. Uh, Amazing. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me. Thank you. You can find us at afemalelens.com and at afemalelens on Instagram and Twitter.
You can email us at afemalelens at gmail.com. And you can download the show anywhere you listen to podcasts and on Apple Podcasts, where we'd love it if you left us a review. Our theme song was composed by Jesse Nelson. Our logos are by Megan Cafferty. This podcast is produced by Jennifer Zollett and Larkin Bell. Hey! Hey. 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 <laughs> Love is in the air. Valentine's Day is coming up. Oh. <laughs> Happy to remind you. Valentine's Day is coming up. Mm, don't remind me. <laughs> Jennifer, you know what I want for Valentine's Day? Why are you asking me? <laughs> 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 We're expecting that response, sorry. <laughs>